0: Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Psalms. Psalm 145 today is our passage, the 145th Psalm. Today we draw to a conclusion our series, Tweets from King David. We've been asking the question, if King David had Twitter, what would he tweet? And we have the answer here in the uh, Psalms that David has penned, and Psalm 145, verse 3 is the last one that we'll look at in this series. Here's the key concept while you find that passage. Rejoice in the fact that God is both good and great. Both good and great. Great. Now, in this particular psalm, Psalm 145, we see the skill of David as both an author and a poet. Now, we don't get it in English, but in the Hebrew, they would see that this is what we call an acrostic psalm. In other words, uh, the the first words of each of the uh, 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 verses of the psalm starts with the next successive letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Now, as I said, we lose that as it comes into English, but for the Hebrew reader, this would have been a great memory aid as they would recite this, and it would make it easier to recite. And as I said, our focus today is on verse 3. This is the the brief tweet that David might send. It says this, verse 3, Great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise, His greatness no one can fathom. In other words, He is beyond us. His greatness no one can fathom. As we go through life, we encounter things that we simply can't really understand, kind of brain twisters that that come our way. I encountered a few of these things by way of questions that people were asking recently. For instance, one man asked the question, if you try to fail at something but you succeed, which have you done? I don't know. Another man asked this question. If a turtle doesn't have a shell, is he homeless or is he naked? I don't know. Here's the one I wanted to get to. One man asked this. If all the world is a stage, as Shakespeare has written, and men and women merely players, who is the audience? Now, to that one, we have an answer. The audience is God. He is the audience of one who witnesses all of our lives and and hears all of our worship. And while we worship Him, we will never fully comprehend Him. His greatness exceeds our grasp. The, The psalmist says, no one can fathom Him. See, we need to understand as followers of Jesus Christ that we live in a sense as rebels against the prevailing assumption of our time. One such assumption is that we live inside a closed system where things happen because of impersonal laws rather than an intelligent design. That's the assumption of radical naturalism, that there's nothing transcendent, there's nothing supernatural. In that assumption, religion and religious people are indulged or tolerated, but the things of faith are not seen as real as reality is perceived. But today I want to remind you about how important it is to remember that that and rejoice in the fact that that assumption is wrong. There is a supernatural beyond the natural. The one true God who rules all is real and he is greater than you can ever imagine. Great is the Lord. When you love someone, you brag about them. Right? Let me tell you about what my kids did today. Let me tell you about what my grandchildren did today. Oh, my, my granddaughter was in a play. Let me tell you how great she did. When you love someone, you, you want to brag about them. And today we're going to brag about God a little bit by rejoicing in who he is. Great is the Lord. Because when you think about the Lord, one word should pop to your mind. And the word that should pop into your mind is the word infinity. God is infinite. He is unlimited, unlimitable. He, it, it's, it's unlike anything that happens in the natural world around us. Some things are big. If you were to stand in front of the ocean and look and gaze out onto the waters, you would not be able to see the end of those waters, but you would know, even though you're not seeing the end, the waters have an end. But God has no end. In any category that we can think about Him, He is infinite. So let's review some of those categories a little bit so we rejoice in Him. God is infinite in regard to space. Part of His greatness is that He is everywhere present. Theologians call this the doctrine of omnipresence. See, we're used to thinking of things as somewhere, and when they are somewhere, it means they are not somewhere else. That's why you had such a hard time finding your phone and your glasses and your keys this morning, because where you were looking for them, they were not there. They were somewhere else. That is why when you're here at church, you're not at home. When, when you're someplace, you're not another place. But that is not true of God. He is everywhere all the time. He cannot be localized. God speaks about himself through the prophet Jeremiah, and he says this in twenty three twenty three. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heaven and the earth, declares the Lord? Now, there may be places where we have a greater sense of his presence, but it's more about our awareness and our sensitivity in those moments. His actual nearness is everywhere. He's always present. He's infinite in relationship to space. He's also infinite in relationship to power. Theologians call this the doctrine of omnipotence. He is able to do all things that are the proper exercise of his power in keeping with his nature. Now, are there some things God can't do? Sure, God can't sin because that's not in keeping with his nature, but he can do all things. That is, in keeping with His nature. So, once again, Jeremiah is helpful there. Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen. Ah, sovereign Lord, You have made the heavens and the earth by Your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for You. My, my, one of my favorite verses on this topic is Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases Him. Some translations say He does whatever He pleases. Don't put God in a box. Don't think that you fully understand Him and comprehend Him. Don't believe that you will always predict what He's going to do. There is much that is not revealed. He does whatever He pleases, but from what we know about His nature, from what He's shown us in His Word, what pleases Him is always good and right and perfect. We rejoice in the greatness of God. He's infinite in regard to power. He's infinite, thirdly, in regard to time. This is so fascinating. Theologians call this the eternality of God. God has always lived forever. The passing of time doesn't apply to him. He sees all time, all the time, and he can enter time if he wishes, and he does so for us. But there never was a before him. There never will be an after him. He exists free from the temporal distinctions of past and future, though he relates to time. Revelation eight, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He is aware of the passing of time, but he's not bound by it. The example that I use is like a, a person standing outside, and we look down on the concrete, and there on the concrete is a, is a line of ants moving along the concrete, moving in sequence as they go. And we, from our perspective, can look down and see the entire line. That line represents in this illustration time. We see the whole thing the, the, all at once, just like God sees all of time all at once. And he can enter time and act in time should he wish, but he's never operating as a reaction to unseen things. He's never surprised. He never discovers anything that he didn't already know because he has always seen it all, infinite in relationship to time. And God is infinite in relationship to knowledge. These things go together. Theologians call this the doctrine of omniscience. There is nothing, nothing that is a mystery for God. There is nothing that he's learning. Since he is infinite in relationship to time and infinite in relationship to knowledge, there never was a time then God didn't know everything that there is to know. He has never had to find anything out. Now, you have heard the phrase, knowledge is power. Well, the psalmist thinks so too. In Psalm 147 verse 5, great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. His understanding and his power go go together. See, God always has all the facts for every situation. He can always act and advise Perfectly, because of his complete knowledge and awareness. Now, we may be able to advise others. We may be able to help people based on the available facts, but we never have all the facts, but he always does. So that's why we call out to him in time of need. He always has all the facts. For all these qualities, God is worthy to be praised. He is infinite in all these ways, but there's more. God uses all these qualities to make a plan and a place for us. It's good to brag about him in this way. For God brings who he is into the plan that he has for the world. So what do we know about the plan of God? Well, we know, first of all, that the plan involves us, and we should be taking note of how God works the plan. Our psalm, just go to verse 4 of our psalm, 145. It says, One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. The plan involves us, and we are to be involved in rejoicing in and promoting God's plan and His deeds to one another parents and grandparents, you ought to be saying to your children and your grandchildren, look at what God has done. Come and see what God has done. Speak the words in your home. Rejoice with me over the answer to prayer that God has worked. Don't miss the opportunity to pull the curtain of the supernatural apart in your home so your kids realize God has a plan. He's working the plan, and we are part of it. Rejoice in that. Certainly, we. Uh, uh, secondly, we learn that God's plan is certain. It is going to happen. Isaiah 46 verse 9, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I do all that I please. His plan is certain. And when we come to this aspect of the greatness of God and the certainty of His plan, here is where an intellectual problem may arise. Because we may begin to ask, big picture, well, if God's plan is certain and it will always happen, how do I fit into that? How does my own decision-making fit into that? Do I have free will to make real choices, or are we all just robots kind of pre-programmed to carry out the plan? Are we like characters in a novel that God has already written, and we're just acting out the novel that's already in place? Or do I make choices that actually affect the trajectory of my life? Those are good questions. And the answer to those questions, this is where a working knowledge of Star Trek comes in handy. For those of you who watch Star Trek, you know they talk about the space-time continuum and alternate realities and all of that. But in one particular episode, what caught my eye was there's a, there's a character in this episode who is experiencing all the possible alternatives in his life based on choices in a moment of time. In other words, he's moving if, 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 from, from the, different, the different possibilities and the different outcomes and realities that come from those possibilities. Because we all experience life in this way. Before us are choices. And those choices can take us in different directions. Imagine for a moment where you're sitting, there's an invisible circle around you, and out of that circle goes, are, is going a number of dotted lines those dotted lines emanating from you uh, are the choices that you could make in life. Now, one of those lines is a solid line because that's the choice you will make. And what you need to understand is God has always seen not only all of the choices that are possible and the outcomes from those choices, He's always seen the choice that you will make. And He's always taken all of those into consideration those those choices and the outcomes that might develop. And he also keeps in mind your nature, who you are. God has seen what you could choose, what you will choose, and he sees who you are as you do choose. So here's a test example. I have a choice before me. Will I have liver and onions for lunch? Or will I have my grandmother's homemade ravioli and sauce? That's the choice. Now, I'm free to choose, but because of who I am, I will choose the ravioli. And God has always known that and has woven that into the plan. This is the doctrine of what theologians call congruence, the doctrine of congruence. God's plan is always congruent with the exercise of our freedom because he's all-powerful, all-knowing. But this brings up the issue of sin, right? Because part of the reality of my freedom means that it's possible for me to choose badly. And I have chosen badly. And so have you. This brings up the third thing about God's plan. God's plan always operates on two levels. There are the things that God determines to happen. And then there are the things that God permits to happen. Now, nothing will ever divert reality away from the big picture plan of God, and He's always working the plan. But in order for us not to be robots and not to be coerced into loving Him, God had to permit the possibility that we might choose against Him. So there are times when the choices that people are making and what's happening as a result of those choices is something that God is permitting to happen, but it is not His primary will. We see that back in the Garden of Eden. We see that in our own lives. We see that in our homes. Parents, you know how this works. We have household rules. We lay down the law, but the child is a free agent. And even though we teach and we train and we correct these children, They will choose at some point to disobey. We simply hope that as they mature, they see the wisdom and love that are embedded in the rules of the home. Just like that, we too are free moral agents. God has a plan, however, for us, and the plan, if you will, the rules for living that He shows us spring from perfect wisdom and perfect love. As we grow, we learn that. But freedom of choice is an essential aspect of being a human. And I think it connects with the fact that God loves us and He wants us to love Him back. And in order for love to be true love, it has to be an actual choice. And in order for it to be an actual choice, the opposite must be possible. You see? But when we choose to love Him, that love is real, it is not coerced, it is not forced. And the greatness of God as it relates to all of this is that everything is happening in an environment over which God is sovereign. We will never be able to change that big-picture plan, the plan He decrees will happen. And you add one more wrinkle to the marvel of all of this, and that is even the bad choices that we make can be redeemed, turned around, and used for good and God's ultimate blessing. I mean, it blows your mind, right? In other words, God is able to use the evil we choose to accomplish the good that he decrees. Wow. He is all-powerful. If he was simply very powerful, he would have to manipulate and control everything about us. If he was simply very powerful and not all powerful, he would have to directly cause everything minutely to happen to be sure that his plan would be followed. But since he is all powerful, not just very powerful, in every category, since he's infinite, even the evil that we do cannot derail his plans. And what is the most obvious example of that in the history of the human race? The most obvious example of that is the most evil thing that humans ever did. And that is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That's the worst thing that we have ever done as a race of beings. Yet, we look back at the remembrance of that day and we call it Good Friday. Because God always had in mind to use that evil as the centerpiece of His plan for our salvation we can brag about our God a little bit and rejoice in His greatness. And what's the culmination of all of this? God's plan will always work out for His glory. Because of His infinite greatness, the plan will bring Him glory. 145 verse 10, in our our psalm, go down to verse 10. It says, all you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. Go up to verses 6 and 7. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. it all work out for God's glory. God's dealings with us are means for His glory. But there's one more aspect of this. Your happiness in Him, your joy in Him, your peace in Him, is also a means for His glory. God is glorified not only in His greatness, but He's glorified by His goodness being experienced by the people that He loves. See, God's passion for His glory is not contradictory to His blessing us. This is yet another aspect of the congruence with which God rules the universe. We rejoice in Him. We praise Him. We worship Him. And as we do that, we are blessed. We experience His goodness as He is being glorified by us. So let's go back to where we started. The goodness and the greatness of God. If God were good but not great, His goodness may not matter all that much. as maybe He wouldn't be able to do what he wants to do for us. If God were great and not good, we would live in terror of him, wondering if this would be the day when he would get angry and wipe us out. But David knows what we should know. God is both great and good. So we put two verses together from this psalm that we look at verse 3 and verse 8. Verse 3 says great is the lord and most worthy of praise his greatness no one can fathom. Verse 8 great is the the lord is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and rich in love. And we step away from that saying this with our minds we must trust in the infinity of god beyond what we could ever imagine we can't fathom him in our hearts Fall deeply in love with the goodness of God because He is both infinitely great and wonderfully good and He's worthy to be praised. And when you glorify Him, you feel His blessing. Rejoice in that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You that we can't comprehend You. Even though there are categories in in which we think and we try to get a hold of an understanding that you have revealed to us in your word. We know it's limited. We know it's less than what is actual, but, but Lord, still we rejoice in it. Lord, we thank you that because of who you are, we can trust you. In the areas of life where we don't have a clue, when we don't know exactly what to do, you will always know what to do. You always have a blessing waiting for us. Thank you, Lord, that we can depend on you in those ways. And that you love us so much that you will be gracious and good and your love overflows. In all these ways, we give you praise. Thank you, Lord, that we can come before you. Help us to be properly humble as we relate to you. Help us to love you back and to walk in that love. For we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.